0: Thank you, musicians. It was coming up to Christmas, and Sammy asked his mom if he could have a a new bike for Christmas. And uh, she told him the best thing that he should do is just write a letter to Santa Claus and let let Santa Claus know that he wanted a bike. But little Sammy was quite smart, and uh, he... He just played a very key role in a nativity play. And so he thought, you know, better than writing a letter to Santa, he should write a letter to Jesus. And so he wrote a letter to Jesus, and it went like this. Dear Jesus, I have been a very good boy and would like to have a bike for Christmas. Love, Sammy. He read it over a few times and wasn't happy when he read it, so he decided to try it again. And this time he wrote, Dear Jesus... I'm a good boy most of the time and would like a bike for Christmas, love Sammy. And he looked that over again and thought, no, that's that's not going to cut it. So uh, he tried one more time and said, dear Jesus, I could be a good boy (laughs) if I tried hard and especially if I had a new bike. (laughs) He read that one over too and he still wasn't satisfied. So he decided to go out for a walk and to think it over as any eight-year-old would do. He thought about a better approach, and and, uh, and it came to him like this. He was walking by a house that had a small statue of the Virgin Mary in the front garden. So he crept in on all fours. He got a hold of that statue, stuffed it under his coat, and hurried home and hid it under his bed. Then he wrote another letter, and it went like this, Dear Jesus, if you want to see your mother again... You better send me a new bike. (laughs) I don't think that really happened. I don't know. So next week, I say all that to say this. Next week, we begin a new series called The Gift of Christmas and invite you to to come and bring neighbors and friends. But today, we uh, complete our series called Ignite Your Passion. And we're talking about a passion for brokenness. And that just sounds like a bizarre thing. Is who could get passionate about being broken? It's not a popular theme. It's not something you hear about too much. And yet, and yet, from Genesis to Revelation, we find that not only is the Scripture about relationships, but it's also about brokenness. And it starts right in in Genesis chapter 3, right at the very beginning of the Scriptures. We find brokenness. Adam and Eve have the broken relationship with God, and then broken relationship with each other, start accusing each other, and the broken relationship with their kids, and their kids are killing each other off. Terrible brokenness. And it goes right through the Scripture from beginning to end. And if you want to know what the Scripture is about, it's all about the triumph of the Brokenness of man, triumph of Christ at the cross over this brokenness. What is brokenness? Brokenness, very simply, is this. It's that state of weakness. When you know you're weak, and you cry out to God for help because you are weak. This is brokenness. And the converse is this, unbrokenness. Unbrokenness is refusing to admit that you're weak, refusing to admit you're in need. Henry Nouwen, one of my very, very favorite authors, has written some 40 books on the spiritual life. He wrote in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, that it's, very, it's often very difficult to believe that there is much to think, speak, or write about other than brokenness. Every single person here today has got some story of brokenness. Some pain that you're carrying in your heart. You've carried it maybe with you your whole life. Or maybe it's something you just experienced recently in the last decade or the last five years or the last week. But your heart is aching. And I want you to know today, God knows about that brokenness. He knows about that pain. He knows about that hurt. And I want you to know something. God will take that brokenness that you're experiencing or that you have right now, and he will take it and use it for good, believe it or not. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But think about it. Life is really about brokenness. My friend, a minister in England, I was talking to him one day about the fact that so much of life seems to be about pain and sadness and sorrows. And he said, to Alan, and you've heard me say this before, life is in fact a veil of tears. And no amount of preaching on positive thinking or positive confession or about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps changes the fact that life is about pain and suffering. That's what life is all about. But here's the good news, my friends. That Jesus has broken into our lives with all of our brokenness and he brings with him his healing, his help, his hope. That's... That's the hope that's ours. Or that's the hope that belongs to everybody who's put their faith in Christ. Life is about brokenness. You go through the Old Testament. So the very early char- first characters that you read the scriptures. Has anybody heard of Abraham and Sarah? God has promised them that they would be the parents of a great nation. And Sarah now is coming up to almost 100 years of age, and she still hasn't had any kids yet, you know. Uh, put yourself in her shoes. She's a pretty broken lady. She's barren. She can't have kids. Broken. God, my dreams haven't come true yet. You come upon Isaac, deceived by his son Jacob. You come upon uh, Esau, Jacob's brother, broken, crying, sorrowful because his, son, his brother Jacob stole his birthright. Look at Jacob's wife, Rachel. The Bible says that she labored in prayer with lamentation and bitter weeping because she couldn't have children. Her sister could have kids, but she couldn't. Moses, another one broken. Looking forward to going into the promised land. God said, no, you can't go. Ruth. Her father in law dies. Her brother in law dies. Her husband dies. And she's left broken and wondering where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? There's Esther. Broken because her whole race is being threatened by a power hungry madman, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. The great prophet. The Bible says she poured out her soul to God in prayer over her barrenness. First Samuel 1.10 says that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept and wept sore. Terrible, terrible bitterness and pain and brokenness. Is that you today? You gone through some brokenness, through some incredible pain that even now, when you think of it, you feel like crying. Samson. Everybody knows Samson, long hair, handsome, big muscles, kind of like me, you know. (laughs) What are you laughing for? That's as far as it goes, by the way. (laughs) Samson, appointed leader of his nation. And then throws it all away because of the fact that he loves women more than he loves his people or his God or his parents. And you know the story, his hair is cut off and he's thrown into a prison to rot and his heart is aching and is broken and he cries out to God, God, give me one more chance. And there's David you know David's story. This is this is a broken man. In fact, if you know the scriptures, you know that David's the one that wrote the Psalms, and if you read the Psalms. They're, they're, it's all about lamentations and crying and and sorrow and pain, but it's also about how God breaks through and brings rejoicing. David, a boy assigned to the to the out, out back of the fields to take care of the sheep. The parents forgot about him out there. David, who is anointed by God to become the next king of Israel, is suddenly under attack by the present king, and he's now a refugee, roaming the land and saying, God, I thought you were on my side. Where are you? What are you doing? I thought I was, I thought I belonged to you. I thought I was your favorite. How could you abandon me like this? Do you ever feel like that? God, what happened? Where are you? Why are you silent? Why are you letting me suffer like this? And then there's David. Out in a hot, sunny afternoon, looks over the fence and at his neighbor's wife, commits adultery with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. And now he's scared. And said, well, how am I going to solve this problem? What What does he do? He calls for Bathsheba's husband to be put at the front lines of the army, and he's put to death. It's essentially murder. Where is God? Bathsheba loses the baby. And David, in great brokenness and sorrow, writes these words. Psalm 51, in response to his brokenness and his pain. Here's what he writes. Would you, would you just read this along with me? This is David's prayer to God. Let's read it together. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. I was looking at this passage in the message version. And I, I want us to, to look at that because it gives it a, a bit of a different uh, slant on it in, in, in contemporary English. Just read it together. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. My friends, I want to talk to you this morning about brokenness. I want to talk to you about coming before God with your heart such as it is. David teaches us something about brokenness, and I want you to know that David didn't write this until he was confronted By his friend, the prophet, Nathan. Nathan came to him and and challenged him. And suddenly, suddenly, David, the one who was unbroken, became broken. And he wrote this prayer to God. David teaches us how to be broken. First thing we realize is that we need to stop faking it. Look what it says in Psalm 51, 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Or as the message puts it, going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. Some of us actually think that we've got to somehow fake it. We come to church and act like Christian people. We approach God as though that we could somehow pull the wool over his eyes and make God believe that we've got it all together. And if we can make everybody at church think that we've got it all together, then maybe we can trick God as well. You know what I'm talking about. We go through the rituals of what we think a Christian should or shouldn't do. We attend church. Yay! I've got it together. I'm I'm in attendance at church. The offering plate goes by. You drop something in. Look at everybody. I'm doing the Christian thing one time I brought my grandmother to church. It was at the old church. It was time for offering, and my grandmother was not a Christian lady, and she made no bones about it. In fact, if anything, she kind of mocked the whole thing. When it came time for the offering, she pulled out a $5 bill, shook it like this for everybody, and put it in the offering plate, and uh, that that's my grandmother. <laughs> that's the pastor's grandma. You know what? That's faking it. We can sit here in the, in the chairs and we can clap our hands and sing the songs, but inside we're broken and we're hurting and we're bruised. We got a smile on our face and we're, we're looking the part like we got it all together. And if you're a baby boomer today, that's everybody who's about my age. You know that you can't go to church unless you wear a tie and unless your hair is is uh, combed the proper way. One of the things I used to hate about going, about going to church when I was a kid is that my, my dad, you know, my dad and mum are here today. They've come back from BC. They've come back to the promised land. Welcome home. What he used to do is he used to pull out the brill cream. Does anybody know what brill cream is? It's grease, it's like lard. I don't like grease in my hair. I like it to be crusty. (laughs) With some bounce. And dad would get out the brill cream, and he used to use the brill cream like he was rationing it. It had to last until I was 40. (laughs) And just a little tiny little bit in his hand, and then... And then what he did on his hand with that brill cream, he would do to my head and start pounding on my head, working that brill cream in until it was good and greasy. And dad, you remember that. He's, oh no, no, you can't talk. I'm the preacher this morning. <laughs> the brill cream's in my hair now. And then he gets his black comb out of his back pocket. Everybody had a black comb because he's from the 50s. (laughs) old now. And he puts a a crease in my hair, puts it all back nicely, and my hair is greased back. Now, I want a hair like Adam's. There's no grease in there. I don't know what's in there, but uh, I know there's no grease in there. But I looked... Decent and ready for church. I want to tell you something. Dressing the part, acting the part, doesn't mean that your heart is where it needs to be. Listen to what I'm saying this morning. People on the outside say the church is full of hypocrites. And I want to tell you what a hypocrite is. The root of the word hypocrite is actor. And so many people, when it comes to Christianity, they're just acting it out. It is an act. And in so many ways, people out there, their judgment on us is pretty accurate. I'm going to tell you something this morning, my friends, my brothers, my sisters. God is not asking you to come to church to act perfect. He's, coming, he's asking you to come to church as you are with your brokenness, with your sorrow, with your pain, with your sin, with your guilt, your shame. And I want you to know today, God does not judge you. He does not hate you. He will not call you names. He will not put you down. But He will embrace you. And guess what? We at this family here at Cross Church will do the same thing. There's no judgment here, no condemnation, just love. Stop faking it. This is the beginning of brokenness. I'm not, I'm not trying to put on a flawless performance. You got it all together. You're so spiritual. Say it with me. Spiritual. That's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for that, my friends. He's looking for you to come as you are and to pour out your heart to Him. Did you mess up this week? Did you fail God? Did you sin? Did you do something you shouldn't have done? Don't hide it. God knows all about it. And he loves you and he wants you to cleanse you. He wants to cleanse you. That's the beginning. This is the beginning of brokenness. Stop faking it. The second thing is you've got to swallow your pride. Oh, that's something I don't want to do. I don't want to swallow my pride. But look what it says in Psalm 51, 17 The sacrifices of God. Listen. Are a broken spirit. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Man, we don't, we don't want to lose control. We want to keep it all together. We want to look great and want to be great. We want to sound great. But God's saying, listen, I'm great. You're not. (laughs) Come and swallow your pride. Here's what we hate to admit. We hate to admit, I'm wrong. Men try to say that. It's a hard thing to say for men. Say it, man. I'm, oh, see how hard it was for them? (laughs) Men have a hard time saying, I'm wrong. And all the women said, in the earlier service, the women just said it with great gusto. Here's what women have a hard thing saying, hard time saying this, have a hard time saying, I could be wrong. And all the men said, oh, that was strong. Whoa. Oh. we don't want to say that, do we? No, because if I said I was wrong or that I could be wrong, then that would hurt my pride. We can't have a hard time saying, here's, here's something we have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. When's the last time you said that? There's some, you know, there's people in your life, you know they can never say I'm sorry, ever. How about please forgive me? How about this? How about this? When's the last time you had someone say, you know, I'm in trouble. I need help. We don't want anybody to know we're, we're struggling. We don't want anybody to know that I need help. That would make me look bad. Huh, my friends, the... The beauty of the family of God is that we're a collection of troubled people. We're a collection of people that don't have it all together. I mean, look at that one beside you. You never saw anybody who's so troubled. Yeah, that's who we are. We're people who need God's power and grace at work in our lives. And everybody said. But we have a hard time saying I'm weak. I we have a hard time saying... I've sinned. I've fallen short. And the fact of the matter is, it's that we're all the same. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all weak. We've all struggled. Now, here's the thing. I say we have a hard time saying I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The funny thing is, is that we always think of other people who need to hear this, right? We never think it's, I'm the one that needs to hear this. Boy, I sure wish Sister uh, Lucy was here, but she could sure use these words. But you, you need to hear this. You're the one that needs to hear that you need to admit you're wrong, that you're in need, that you've sinned, that you're in trouble. Now listen to this. You can't fix other people's hearts. You can't make others see their weaknesses and pride. But what you can do is you can come and surrender to God and say, God, it's not my brother. It's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. What? Standing in the need of prayer. You're the one that needs it. You need to hear from God. We call this repentance. Has anybody heard that term? Repentance? Repentance. It's a term that simply means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. The Puritans of the 16th and 17th century, they were so convinced that every Christian need to under, needed to understand that the most important thing he or she could do was repent, that they refused to call themselves Christians. They called themselves repenters. Now, aren't you glad you're not called a repenter? <laughs> you're called a Christian? But yeah, that's what they called themselves, repenters, because they understood that it was essential For their growth and development. Now, I'm going to just let you in a little secret this morning. You maybe didn't know this. (coughs) Excuse me. God's purpose for you is not to make you happy. What God is doing in your life is not, is not all about making you happy. What he wants to do is he wants you to become like Jesus. That's his purpose. It's to make you like Jesus. Not to make you happy, but to make you like Jesus. An amazing thing happens, my friends, when you become more like Jesus. Having his nature, his attitude, is that you become happy. That's how you become happy. Become like Jesus. The only way that's going to happen is by swallowing your pride and saying, God... I need need your spirit to do a work in my life. And so when God brings crushing brokenness into your life, rather than saying, God, where are you? You need to embrace it and say, God, do that work of transforming me, changing me, making me more like Jesus. Because listen to this, my friends. All the victories and all the gain will not transform you like suffering and pain does. That's what transforms you. That's what changes you. And the way that happens is by swallowing your pride and saying, God, have your way in my life. Now, I'm not telling you today that you got to be excited about it. Because, I mean, frankly, you have to be a little loony if you want suffering and pain in your life. But when you know the transformation that takes place in you, that you will be changed, become a new person, then you will learn to say, bring it on. I have a passion for brokenness. The third thing that David teaches us quickly is to shed a few tears. Ah, We don't like to shed tears, especially men. My dad didn't want me to cry when I was growing up. Right, Dad? Shh, don't. (laughs) Stop crying. And if we were crying, he'd say, laugh at this. It worked when I was a kid, Dad. I don't know why they're not laughing. It worked every time. I'd be crying to say, laugh at this. No, no, there's a crooked one. That'll make you laugh. No, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want tears. We're kind of afraid of that. But this is what David says, A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. A heart-shattered life, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. My friend, when you shed those tears, you know, here's the good news. When you shed those tears, God is all ears. If you feel like God is far from you, then you come before God and wait on Him. And don't be afraid to shed a few tears and watch the way God will show up. Charles Spurgeon said that no prayer will ever succeed with God more certainly than liquid requests. That's tears. That's what he means by liquid requests. Which being distilled from the heart, trickles from the eye and waters the cheek. My friends, when's the last time you cried? When's the last time you wept in God's presence? I want you to know this morning that biblically tears are an essential expression of brokenness. Tears are God's provision for cleansing us of unbrokenness that hinders and sometimes destroys our spiritual, our mental, our physical well-being. There was a woman that came to to Jesus, and uh, she had an alabaster box full of a perfume, and she was uh, she was a prostitute. She had abused her body with other men. And when she came to Jesus, Jesus didn't rebuke her. Jesus didn't put her down. Jesus didn't tell her that she was useless, worthless. He didn't make fun of her. He didn't cast her away. He embraced her. He loved her. He cared for her. He forgave her sin. And her response was to take that which was the most precious to her, that alabaster box of perfume, and she... She stood at his feet, weeping, sobbing, wailing, began to wash his feet with her tears. The Pharisees thought this was very inappropriate. I mean, you know who she is. I always wondered how the Pharisees knew how who she was. And the disciples thought it was very improper. I mean, what a waste of money to be breaking an alabaster box of perfume. Some scholars estimate that that alabaster box of perfume would be worth up to a year's salary. But when she thought of what Jesus had done for her, it was a small price to pay to show her gratitude and her love for Jesus. My friends, I want you to know something. When you, when you, shed a tear, when you weep in God's presence, you know what you're doing? You're washing the feet of Jesus. Jesus was so moved. He didn't rebuke her. You know what he said? He said, this act of mourning, of weeping and repentance, is not only an act of faith, but a manifestation of great love. And this woman will be remembered forever. This woman will never be forgotten. These tears that were shed will stand as a memorial forever of a woman's great love, of a woman's brokenness. I ask you this morning, when's the last time you wept in the presence of God? Because weeping is part of brokenness. And I want you to know that when you weep, the Bible says in Psalm 56, 8, that God keeps your tears in a bottle and writes each one in his book. Tears are precious to the heart of God because he loves you so much. Some of you here today are suffering in all sizes and shapes. Some of you, every day you wake up, your heart is heavy. And you're tempted maybe to bury your pain and to try to avoid the pain and mask it and run away from it. But I want to tell you today that God's calling you to come to him with your brokenness and allow him to teach you to transform you, to change you, to make you more like Him. David, the adulterer, David, the man who learned brokenness, said this, God's anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. In the words you all have heard at one time or another, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, in this room this morning, or people that represent all kinds of personal pain, all kinds of personal shortcomings and, and sin and failing and guilt and shame and weakness. God, when we look into your word, we're reminded how much you love us and care for us. We realize, Lord, that it's the one who is unbroken that experiences the judgment of God. But the one who is broken is the one who experiences the love and the help of God. Lord, I pray right now that each one here who is hurting, suffering, struggling in his or her walk with you, that they would come before you with brokenness, admit their need, that they would find a brother and sister in Christ and admit their need and find the help and the relief that you want them to have. God, thank you today that you love us so much. And so, Father, touch our hearts. Help us to stop faking it. Help us to swallow our pride. Help us, Lord, to, to be willing to shed a few tears. And then we'll know what true brokenness is. The brokenness that heals our hearts. Amen. Let's stand together.